invite you here this morning as we open up your word, that you would speak to us, that we would hear and we would respond, that your Holy Spirit empower each heart and mind to receive whatever it is you would have to speak to them this morning. In your name, amen. Well, this morning we are continuing our sermon series, Resurrected Life, and um, because of especially, specifically the nature of the topic today, I wanted to start off with that, that great hymn about God's grace. I want the first word that you hear to be the grace and love that God has for us in Jesus Christ as we talk about this particular issue of lust. But in May of last year, the New York Times published an article called, Is an Open Marriage a Happier Marriage? Question mark. And the article details many couples who, although they were in committed marriage relationships, decided to open up their marriage to other people because they found that their marital or their sex life was somehow lacking. So with the full consent of their spouse, they began to see and date and sleep with other people. Now this may sound absolutely preposterous to you, absolutely crazy, but this type of thinking is beginning to make perfect sense to people in our culture. Even psychologists are talking about the benefits an open marriage could have for those who are in monogamous relationships. You see, most people today... They believe that our sexual desires are best expressed rather than suppressed. They think it's healthier and better to just express your desires than it is to repress them or su suppress them. But today, it is my contention to every one of you that if we don't learn to manage our sexual desires, our lusts, it will have disastrous and deadly effects on your life, on the relationships that you have, and in the communities of people to which you belong. We've been in a series called Resurrected Life, how the risen Jesus renews us for life here in the hereafter. And we've, specifically, we've been talking about how Jesus renews us from what's been commonly called the seven deadly sins. So we've, we've looked at pride, we've looked at envy, gluttony, greed, and now today we're talking about lust. Now lust, it's, it's obviously not a new issue in the world. We've had sexual issues since the fall. But out of all the seven deadly sins, lust is probably the one viewed by people today as the least deadly. I mean, if they really consider it to be an issue at all. Most people today believe that sexual desires are, are core to who they are and their identity. And if I want to express myself sexually with another person, how is that harmful? How is that considered a deadly sin? Why does God even care about that? The worst thing you can do for people in our culture is to not express your sexual desires. And parts of the church in America and the Western world, they're beginning to teach and to say the same thing. Pastor Will Willimon, uh, theologian at Duke, he says, Be very suspicious of us, us Christians, when we claim that what the church once considered a serious sin, we consider now not so serious. Even in the church, let's be honest, many of us would rather not deal with this or talk about this. Uh, N.T. Wright tells a joke about Moses going up to the mountain to talk with God. And he's, he's talking up there on the mountain, and he, and he comes back down, and he, and he says to the people, guys, got some good news and bad news for you. The good news, I talked God down from 40 to 10. We only got 10 rules. Bad news, adultery is still in there. <laughs> We'd rather not it be in there. We would rather not discuss this issue. It would be much easier to not have to deal with this. But whether we understand it fully or not, lust is considered one of the seven deadly sins. Something that will deaden your walk with God. It will deaden your soul and your relationships with others. So it is imperative today, my friends, that we understand what this is, 
why is it deadly, and how we can overcome it to experience the abundant life that God has designed for us. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 3 through 8. And as you are turning there, let me give you a little bit of context. Paul is writing to the Thessalonians, a church in Thessalonica in Greece. And Paul, he's writing to a culture where sexuality was rampant. It was very common, especially for the men, that you would have sex with multiple people and multiple partners. In fact, bisexuality was the most common form and to be expected for the men in Paul's day. Uh, homosexual sex was normal. That was, a normal, that was expected. Divorce was rampant and normal. And, the, and let me give you an example. So the Roman Emperor Nero, who was the leader of the world in, in Paul's day, he had multiple spouses at various points, some at the same time, and both men and women. In fact, Nero uh, married a young man named Sporus, who went through the sex change that was available to him in his day and donned the woman attire that they would wear at the, the, the bridal party, and they had a lavish public ceremony where Nero married this man who underwent a sex change. I mean, can you imagine the President of the United States marrying a man who had a sex change, who was dressed like a woman, and they all while televising this on national TV. That is what is going on in the Roman world. That is what is going on. And we're not far off from that today, my friends. We're not far off from that in Western culture. So the Bible, and this is imperative to understand because the Bible's instructions on lust, they're not reflective of their own culture. They're not reflective of some old-fashioned, traditional, conservative. They are totally countercultural from the world in which they came. And maybe you wonder why. Why does the Bible talk about lust and sex so much? Can you imagine the culture that they were in? This is why it comes up, and it's so often in our New Testament in the Bible. So let's read what Paul says to this very sexualized culture. He says, It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. And that in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins, as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. And Paul's not mincing any words here, is he? He is laying it out there. So what is, this, what is this passionate lust that Paul is telling us to avoid? What are we talking about? Well, let me start by saying this. Lust is a distortion of God's good design for sex. It's a distortion of his good design. Sex is created by God, if you didn't know, and it's a good gift by God when we use it the way he's intended it. But as with many sins, we take a good gift of God we distort it, and we begin to serve it instead of serving the Creator. We begin to serve our own desires rather than serving the God who made them. Rebecca DeYoung, in her book on the seven deadly sins, says, Lust is the excessive desire for my own sexual pleasure. It's the excessive desire. And let me tell you, this affects both men and women. It's a men and a woman's issue. It affects young and old, and it affects you whether you're single or you're married. So this is an equal opportunity thing that can creep into our lives. And so Paul says to not let passionate lust rule and guide your body. 
And notice there's a discernment there. He is saying, not all your desires are holy. Not everything that you feel is good and in line with the will of God. Some are deadly. Some are contrary to his will. And so you have to discern what is going on in my soul. Does it line up? And Jesus talked about this. He talked about our inner desires. In Matthew 5, 28, in the Sermon on the Mount, he says this, I tell you, talking to the men, that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Just the look, the gaze. So Jesus, he's telling us that this can take place in the heart, in our inner desires, in our mind, in our spirit. And so lust begins to have that attraction, but then it begins to feed that sexual impulse and desire and allows it to grow. So we're not talking about simply attraction. We're talking about the intentional feeding of our desires and letting it to grow and take root. And when you let this lust, when you let this desire take root, it begins to manifest in some very deadly ways. You begin to objectify the people around you. You begin to, some of you might begin to use pornography. It may, maybe it's simple, you're flirting with someone at work or whatever it is. It might even lead to uh, sexual encounters or more. It can lead to all kinds of things. So let's talk about why is it so deadly? Why is it so deadly? And the first reason is this. It is extremely powerful. Extremely powerful. Sex is really, 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 really powerful. You see, God designed, I mean, he designed it to unite a man and a woman into what he calls a one flesh bond. And in most cases, that leads to the creation of a new life. You didn't think you'd be getting the birds and the bees from your pastor this morning. But that's how God designed it. I'm sorry for that. But God, he created this so that these two people would have such a strong emotional, social, and physical bond that they would be able to stay together to raise children. That is how united that this couple has to be. And so what lust does, it takes the power of sex and it distorts it so that its power isn't used for good, it's used for evil. When you engage in lust, you be, it begins to create death and decay in your soul. And you be, even begin to lose the power to think rationally about decisions. You begin to lose control over your own body, maybe even your own life. And it only gets worse. It only gets worse. The more you indulge lust, the stronger it gets. The more you indulge your lust, the more you give in, the stronger the de desire grows. And before you know it, Lust has taken you further and farther than you ever wanted or intended to go. And it's going to cost you more than you ever thought that it would. I mean, you guys probably are connected to people that you can think of. People have ruined their lives because of lust. They have ruined their relationships. They have ruined marriages. They have ruined relationships to their kids. They have destroyed churches. Lust ruins lives. It ruins lives when you don't manage it and control it and find victory. And our culture thinks it's healthier to express your lust. But they couldn't be more wrong. Lust is only satisfied temporarily, and it comes back even stronger. Lust pull is so powerful that it's trapping many people today, and it's specifically trapping a lot of people in pornography use. Let me give you a few statistics. 64% of all Christian families have an acute problem with pornography. 64%. Nine out of ten boys and six out of ten girls are exposed to porn by the age of 18. 
Nine out of ten boys, six out of ten girls. Two out of five church-going men watch porn several times a week. My friends, this is why we have to talk about this. This isn't not just a problem outside the church with the world. This is a problem right in here. This is a problem with us and our desires. And it's, think about the children in our church. This is going to affect them as well. We all have to care about this issue. And porn and, porn and lust, it will trap you into a downward spiral from which it is extremely difficult to escape besides the grace of God. Lust is deadly because it's extremely, extremely powerful. And the second reason why it is so deadly is because it has serious personal and interpersonal effects. And I can barely scratch the surface of how much damage lust can do in your life. But Rebecca DeYoung says the key to seeing lust as a vice is seeing that what we do physically is intimately connected, intimately linked to spiritual effects. She's saying we're a body and a soul. We're a body and a soul. We're both combined. We can't separate those two. I mean, people think lust is usually no big deal. As long as it's consensual, what's the problem? No one gets hurt. Are you so sure? Are you so sure that no one gets hurt? Because we are both a body and a soul. Lust and sex, they affect our lives in ways we perhaps can't even fathom. One author called the effect of uh, sexual rendezvous as emotional STDs. That's not a joke. That's a real thing. We can hurt others with our lusts, which is why Paul says in the text that I have before you in verse 6 and 7, that in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or a sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before. So Paul says that lust gone wrong can take advantage of another. When lust is taking over your life, you will disregard another person's future. When lust is taking over your life, you will disregard another person's emotional well-being. You will disregard what future family may result as, the, the, as your lust takes place. You will not take into effect how this is going to affect you and them down the line. Lust only cares about the self. Lust only cares about being satisfied. Try telling any father here that a little fooling around and a little premarital sex with their daughter is fine. Try, think, try telling them that's just fine. We, I mean, we all know how important it is to make sure our kids are protected from the emotional, spiritual, and physical consequences of lust. Imagine how God, the Creator, our Heavenly Father, feels about His beloved kids. So sex in its proper place, it's a really, 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 really big deal. Really big deal. And Paul warned this very sexualized culture that God is, yes, He is going to punish all who commit such sins. When you mess around with His kids, when you mess around with God's sons and daughters, He's not pleased, just as any other father would be. When you objectify them, when you watch them nude on a screen, God isn't happy about it. Lust has consequences to the people that we objectify. And it's so powerful that it has to be nurtured and how God designed it to be a lifelong commitment between a man and a woman. So if it's so deadly, how can we overcome this? How can we overcome this lust? And before I get into the how, I want you to know if, if you're here today and you are trapped and you are stuck in lust, that there is so much grace in Jesus Christ for you, that you are not too far gone, that you are not, there is nothing you could do that God can't forgive, 
and that there is so much grace for you today. And there is help. God has called you to a holy life, and he can empower us to rise up. So let me give you a few thoughts. The first way that we can overcome the pull of lust is to, number one, pursue God. We must pursue God. You see, lust, it's, I believe, it's rooted in a desire for intimacy and pleasure. And, but when you find, your, you find your intimacy and pleasure in God first, then you won't be tempted as much to find it in your lust. And just this goes for any sin, but I think it especially goes for this one. Worship and prayer are your best weapons against the pull of lust. Worship and prayer are your best weapons. When you are satisfied in God, you will be less tempted to find that satisfaction elsewhere. If you are caught in the trap of lust today, you need to pursue God. You need to run to God as fast as you can and get the help that you need. And if you aren't caught in the trap of lust, be careful that you won't fall. Keep pursuing God. Keep God so close to you that when things come tempting your way, that you will have the intimacy and the pleasure that you need from our Lord who desires to bless us so richly. Second thing that we need is to know God's word. We need to know God's story and God's scriptures. And this is so important because this is how people get deceived. The, the Pharisees, they asked Jesus a question about morality. And they came to Jesus in Matthew 19, and, they, and the Pharisees came to him to test him. And they asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? And Jesus says to them, haven't you read? Haven't you read? Don't you know this story? Don't you know what I have written? And he says, he replied, at the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become flesh. So they are no longer two, but, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So when Jesus is asked a question about morality, he quotes scripture and he asks the people, haven't you read? What does it say? Where is it written? Don't you know the story? And he points back to the beginning of how God designed humankind to live. And this is the key. Notice in the text that I gave you that Paul said is the pagans, those who are non-religious, who don't know God's story, that engage in passionate lust. I mean, that makes sense. If you don't have a worldview, a Christian worldview of God creating the world and designing certain things, if you have these, desire, these desires, why not, why not fuel them? If it feels good, do it. That's the sense of the culture of our, in our world today. But Jesus says to his church, haven't you read? Haven't you read? God created you in the image of God. Male and female, he created you. The two become one flesh. And so Jesus, our Lord, he shows us and tells us that this is God's intention and design for humankind, for all relationships. We aren't left in the dark like those who don't know. So we are called to faithfulness in marriage between men and women, and we are called to celibacy and singleness and love and kindness towards all. That's what Jesus tells us. That's our story that we are in. So God, he didn't create sex for our rec recreation. He didn't create it to be viewed on a screen. He didn't create it for multiple people just to open up their marriages and have fun. He created it for a man and woman to become one flesh. And when you know this story, this will keep you from being deceived. Because you're going to hear a lot of alternative stories in our world. And you've probably heard a lot of them. Let me, let me talk about a few. You will hear people say, well, love is love. But then you will say, haven't you read that love of God means obeying him in all of his commands? 
And that just because you love someone doesn't give you a free-for-all and you can do whatever you want. Some people might say, well, well, this is who I am. And we can say, well, haven't you read that who you are is your identity in Christ, not your sexual desires? Well, some people might say, well, can't I do whatever I want with my body? And then if you're a Christian, you will say, haven't you read that Jesus Christ purchased you and bought you and know your body is not your own? Even though that is a very, not very, a very popular idea. But we are the clay in the potter's hand. The clay can't say to the potter, this is my clay, I'm going to do with it what I want. No, the potter has designed it for a purpose for which it will have the best effect. God designed you. He formed you. He bought you and purchased you with the blood of Christ. And so he alone determines how you are to discern your sexuality. Well, some people might say, well, God made me, this, made me this way. Well, haven't you read that God made you to obey him and love him above all things? No matter how we feel, God, God's ways and commands bring us life and peace and abundance and joy, even when it flies in the face of common, common knowledge. So I hope that you need to know these stories. We need to know God's word. And then three, if you are caught, you need to run. You need to run. You need to stop flirting with lust, stop dabbling in lust. Think about Joseph who fled from Potiphar's wife. You need to get out of there. Jesus says, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. I'm glad he wasn't being literal there because I would have no right eye. But whatever is leading you to sin, whatever is encouraging your sin, you need to cut it out and get it out of your life because it's destructive. Some of you, you may need to downgrade to a dumb phone. You may not be able to have that access in your life if it's, if it's causing you. Some of you, you may not be able to have a laptop. You might need to get a desktop and have it in the living room. Some of you, you may not be able to be in certain places at a certain time. You may not be, be able to be with certain people at a certain place. You need to put safeguards in your life and get out of these situations. And four, we have to mourn. We have to mourn. We must mourn over the sin in our life. And the church, my friends, must mourn with us. The, when Paul wrote to the Corinthians... They thought that they were free to do anything, that they could have sex with really whoever that Jesus had set them free. And in fact, there was a man in their church who was sleeping with his father's wife. So not his mom, but a second or third wife possibly, or a widow, we're not sure, but some other wife to, that he was sleeping with. And so Paul says this, he says, a man is sleeping with his father's wife, and you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning? It's 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 2. You see, the Corinthians, they thought that they had left that old, traditional, non-progressive, old-fashioned thought and that they could do whatever they wanted because Jesus had set them free. And there are many people today, even in, our, even in the church, who are prideful for sexual acts that they think are fr- they are free to do. And in fact, they are not. And in fact, there are many who encourage others to engage in deviant sexual behaviors, tell them to be prideful about it, to flaunt it, and they encourage it. To show it off. Paul says rather, shouldn't you be mourning? Shouldn't you be mourning that God's ideals and commands that bring life to us, that bring peace to us, that these are being promoted in the church? We should be mourning and grieving over this. And lust gets really dangerous because over time you begin to stop feeling guilty. And if you don't feel guilty anymore about lust, you are in one of the most dangerous places that I can think of. 
Because you, you may be drawn away from God, you may not have the desire to repent, and it's leaving you in danger of judgment. That's what Paul says in the passage. I'm just, I'm just telling you what it says. Read it for yourself, 1 Thessalonians. But if you feel guilty, if you're struggling, if you're in that trap, I have hope for you. Because you're still in the fight. You're still in the game. You're still fighting. You're still struggling. And it may be the hardest thing in your life, but you still can overcome with the power of Jesus Christ. And finally, if you're caught in lust, you need to get help. You need to get help. You know, confessing sins to each other has been a long-standing uh, Christian tradition that has helped people overcome their sin. And secrecy, it fuels all lust, but I think it especially fuel, or fuels all sin, but it especially fuels our lust. But when it's out in the open, when you tell somebody else, when you say, I need help, you can find the healing that you so desperately need. If you're caught in pornography today, you need to find help. You need to talk to somebody. My email's in the bulletin. If you need to let me know, I will pray for you. I will help you find the help you need. You need to get out of that. It's going to destroy you. It's going to destroy your family. And if you're caught in that, it's not too late. Get some help today. You can be set free. This morning as we respond, I want to invite the choir to take their place. We're going to have a moment after I finish here that they're going to sing. And if you are struggling with this and you just need some time to pray, you need to be, kind of be in that place with God for just a minute, you can do that while they sing. If you have somebody you know that you know is trapped by the power of lust, maybe think of them and pray for them. Pray for our church. Pray for our leaders. This is an issue. Pray for our kids who are being exposed to porn on a regular basis. We need to pray about this issue. And I want you to know that there is good news. There is good news that Jesus came to die for our sin. He came to die so that it could be all totally forgiven. God's grace, God's wonderful, marvelous grace. There is no sin too great that Jesus can't forgive. There is no sin too powerful that he can't overcome and unshackle you from. There is no sin or place in your life that is too far gone and too dead that Jesus can't resurrect. He was in a tomb once before, you know. Now he's not. That's the Lord that we serve. We have the risen Jesus. Perhaps today lust has ruined parts of your life. Maybe it's ruined part of your story. Maybe it has its grip on you right now. But there is someone that I know who is stronger. There is someone I know who is stronger and will forgive and will liberate you. And so I invite you to pray to him right now as our choir sings.